Hello, and welcome to this Soulless Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit soullesschurch.com. I'm reading Matthew 7. Verses will be up on the screen, but let's look at Matthew 7. Jesus speaking here, verses 13 down through 23. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This, uh, this is the word of God. These are the words of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, um, we invite your spirit to accomplish the work of your word today in our lives. We ask that you would give us open ears and open hearts, ears to hear what you want to say, and ultimately hearts to receive it. Pray, Father, for you to empower me with your spirit to um, communicate your word feel a little spotty today. I pray you'd give me some clarity. Um, I just want to get out of the way so that you can speak to us. And so we invite you to do that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, you may be seated. That's one of those passages where you're like, good morning. Welcome to church. Hey, uh, if you're taking notes, uh, I want to preach this morning from this passage, Matthew 7, 13 through 23, from the title Proceed with caution. Proceed with caution. Uh, for the past few months that we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, we have observed Jesus covering and speaking into such a great variety of different topics. But now here, as we get to the very end of his sermon and Jesus is beginning to wrap up things, he does so in a very unique, maybe unexpected way. Jesus has been very practical and very pragmatic up until this point. Yet here, as we near the end, Jesus wraps this thing up by giving us three warnings. Three warnings. Um, three vital warnings, I should say. So vital that they have eternal implications. Uh, in verse 15, he uses the word beware. Did you see that? That's like a Halloween, watch out for my dog word, isn't it? Beware. It literally means watch out. 
be careful or, or be on your guard. Uh, the idea here is potential danger ahead, kind of like a cliff maybe or a, a dangerous road that you're driving on. And again, the idea, as is in the title of the sermon, is to proceed with caution, proceed with caution. Um, now here, Jesus is advocating for what we would call a kind of healthy fear in life, a healthy fear. Uh, I think this kind of speaks to the moment that we've been in as a culture, as a nation for the past six months of this pandemic. Haven't we all in our own way been trying to create a distinction in our own lives between what is a healthy fear, a responsible fear, and an irrational fear? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't want to be so scared that I'm paralyzed from living, but I also don't want to be so courageous that I'm foolish, right? And I think we've all, of course, come to the same conclusion of what that looks like, haven't we? Of course not. That's a joke, okay? We all, obviously, we feel differently about that as you look at the finer points. Um, but Scripture makes this distinction. It makes this distinction about fear. Uh, there is in Scripture a sort of unhealthy fear that we are called to reject, first and foremost. There is in Scripture something called unhealthy fear. It's one of the most, if not the most, commanded um, encouragements in the Bible from God, which is do not fear. There's an unhealthy kind of fear where 2 Timothy says, you have not received the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. It's a paralyzing kind of fear. It's a kind of fear that God calls us to overcome and to reject. But there is also, we know in Scripture, a kind of fear that is wise, a kind of fear that is careful and cautious, and it's a, it's a fear that Scripture calls us not to reject, but to adopt. And that's what Jesus is advocating for here. I think of Proverbs 22, verse 3. Proverbs 22, verse 3. It says, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. It's kind of this fork in the road. And there's a sign that says, danger, danger, danger. And the wise man, what he does is he proceeds with caution. He even hides himself and he, and he carefully navigates the potential danger ahead with wisdom. But the foolish man acts like there wasn't ever a sign. Okay, it's like, so think of like cliff jumping or something. And there's a cliff and there's a sign that I've seen, cliff jumping in North Carolina. And it says, beware, this cliff is not for jumping. And wise Andrew would look at that and go, they're right. I'm going to go home. All right. But 16-year-old Andrew says, great advice, but I'm going to go with my gut on this one. Right? And kind of ignore it and almost fall to my doom. Uh, it, was a, it was a pretty big cliff. Um, but, but that's the idea. It kind of reminds me, actually, a simpler example was uh, taking Penny to the playground the other day, and I saw a sign like this, and I still don't know how I feel about this. But uh, it was a sign at the playground, now that playgrounds are open, that says, caution, this playground is open but not sanitized. Use at your own risk. My two-year-old daughter just wants to go down the slide, you know what I mean? And it's like, watch out, proceed with caution. This is a playground, you know? It's like, what's going on here, all right? But, but it's that similar tone. Do you disregard it and just kind of proceed, or do you wisely consider uh, the consequences, however you feel about that? Now, every parent, to some degree, is familiar with 
giving warnings, right? It's such an important part, a loving part of being a parent, right? We, we want our kids to be courageous. We don't want them to be bound and, and, and grappled by, uh, crippled by fear. But we also want them to be wise. So when we say, like, don't touch that, that's hot, that's a warning, you know, don't play in the street, let that be a warning, it's because we actually love our kids. And here, Jesus has that same kind of heart. He gives these three vital warnings because he is concerned for our eternity. It would be wise to heed the warnings that Jesus gives us in this passage. He gives three of them, three eternal uh, implicating warnings. Let's look at each of these. The first warning that Jesus gives us that we read there is this warning, number one, to beware of what we'll call false religion. Jesus essentially says, watch out, be on your guard, be careful that you don't trek down a path of false religion. Now, he uses a metaphor to describe two options in life when it comes to a religious or spiritual pathway. And he uses this metaphor of a pathway to illustrate the belief system and the eternal life trajectory of every, every living person. Now, I think I need to give a, a quick caveat here. Uh, there's a, a popular sentiment in Christianity today um, that can be helpful but also hurtful because um, it can be confusing to non-believers. And it's, you ever heard this phrase? Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Yes and no, Right? Like Christianity will say this is not a religion in the sense that the, the one definition of religion, which can be like man's attempt to reach God. Christianity, of course, is not that. It's the exact opposite. The Christian faith is about God's successful attempt to reach man. Amen? It's not about what I do to earn God's favor. It's what God has done through Christ to win me to him. All right? But there is, in another sense, just a general definition of religion that Christianity certainly falls under. I think that's why people sometimes get confused when people are like, Christianity is not a religion. I mean, it is, okay? It's a major world religion, all right? It really is a religion. Um, in, in fact, just a general definition of what we're talking about here when we say the word religion is we're talking about any sort of belief system that guides your life. Any sort of a religion, generally speaking, is a belief system about how life works, is there a God, isn't there a God, what is he like, what does he want from me, and that guides how my life works. Did you know that even in 2005 was the most recent Supreme Court ruling on this that deemed atheism a religion? Atheist groups, some atheist groups have their own like tax-exempt status because regardless of what an atheist tells you, it's a belief system. You just believe that there is no God, but you can't prove that just as much as I can't make God appear right now, right? It's still based on faith. It's the faith and hope that God doesn't exist. But that's a belief system. It's a religion. Um, so the next time someone comes to you and says, man, I'm not really religious, be careful before you say, man, me neither. Now, I've said that. Me neither. What you should really ask them is, are you sure? What do you mean by that? Do you have a belief system? So, so at the end of the day here, here's what I'm getting at. Here's what Jesus gets at. The question isn't religion or not to religion, all right? That's not the question, Shakespeare, okay? The question is, is it true or is it false? 
Is the religion, is the belief system, is the worldview that's guiding your life, is it going to get you to God? Or is it going to get you somewhere else? Is it a, a system constructed by man instead of a system given by God? And notice what Jesus says about this. He says in life, when you look at these two paths, they're uniquely contrasted. He, he talks about one path first, and it's this broad, wide path that most people, this is the sobering part, most people find themselves on navigating some sort of worldview and life path that in the end leads to, notice this, ruin. It's Proverbs. Can you throw up the verse there, Mike, in Proverbs? I think it's about two over. Um, I might have given you the wrong reference. That's a great verse, though. Look at that. I think it's 20-something, Proverbs 14. But you, you've heard it before, right, that there's a way that seems right to a man. This sounds like whenever... Brittany and I are on vacation, and I'm trying to get to where we need to go. And it just, I see, it seems like I know where I'm going, right? There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end doesn't end up in the destination that's intended. It ends instead, just as Jesus says here, in destruction. Now, how many of us know that Jesus didn't come to give us some vague, general, hopeful belief about eternity? Jesus didn't get, come to give us some kind of another way that can seem right to us. It's John 14, 6. Don't we know this? John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And then we know, he goes on to say, no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. Notice he doesn't say, I am a way. I'm a truth. I'm a alternative lifestyle. I'm another option. No, Jesus, we know this about the life and the ministry of Jesus. Jesus had no problem proclaiming the truth about exclusive access to God through himself. Now, that can be somewhat of an offensive statement in our day and age, where the only thing that's true is that no one really knows what's true, but apparently we know that that's true. It's kind of confusing, right? And Jesus steps into that space, and into this culture even today. He would speak into an age of moral relativism, this age of, of, of postmodernism that, that doesn't really grab onto anything. C.S. Lewis predicted this generation, and he said, we're going to come to a time where men will so see through everything that they won't see anything. It's an interesting concept. Like, nothing's concrete, nothing can be true, nothing can be grabbed onto, and you get to the point where if you can just see through everything, eventually you won't see anything, okay? And C.S. Lewis prophetically described 2020. Just kind of like all this idea of all roads, all paths kind of leading to hopefully God to some extent, or a, a God as I understand him. There's the famous illustration of the different blind men in the jungle who all stumble upon an elephant, and one comes upon the elephant, and, and he grabs his tail, and he says, elephants are fuzzy. All right? And the other man grabs the leg, and he says, Ele elephants are like tree trunks. All right? The other person grabs the tongue, and he's like, elephants are wet, right? And the idea is they're coming across and giving their own perception. And that's the general idea is, is this is what culture will give you that illustration and say, you know, we all have a piece of the elephant that is God. Now, Tim Keller makes a great observation about this. And he goes, whoever's saying that knows what an elephant looks like. You understand? 
there's this understanding of what's true. At the end of the day, there has to be something objective. And Jesus says, the objective truth is not found in 10 steps, in going to this course. It's found not in anything except a person. He says, I am the truth. I am the exclusive truth. Now, what we're proclaiming here is also what's called the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is that when we were lost, God gave us, in his grace and mercy, a clear way to come back to God. And a lot of people have a hard time with the fact that there could be one way. And that's a total misunderstanding of how amazing this news is. The good news of the gospel is that there is a way. <laughs> There's only one way. There's a way is the point, right? There's a way. You see, apart from Jesus, we would be stuck on this broad road towards destruction, left to our own intuition, whatever just seems right to us. But God is so good in that he comes to open our eyes to the truth. Jesus promises this. It's Romans, or it's John chapter 8, excuse me, John chapter 8, where Jesus said that you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth. The truth of what? The truth of what God has done to reconcile sinners to himself. That's the truth. And the truth is found in Jesus going to a cross. This is it. A cross. It's upon that cross that God did what had to be done for us to be right with him, which is to exchange places with us. Because in and of ourselves, we could never guide our way back to God. And that's generally every belief system. God's at the top of the mountain. And man's at the bottom trying to climb our way to the top. But the gospel of Jesus, the, the central exclusive point of Christianity is that God in Christ came down and descended from the top of the mountain. He came to where we are. He lived among us as a perfect, spotless lamb without sin. And then in that state, he went to the cross and he became what we are on that cross. He bore our sin to be our salvation, to be the truth that sets us free, to be the way in which we are reconciled back to God. Now we are right with God, not because of what we do to earn his favor. We could never do that but because of what Christ has done, because of what Jesus has done. May we lean more, more fully upon that. We have been reconciled to God through Jesus, once and for all, eternally. And this is that good news of the gospel that proclaims, here's the entry point. Here's the access point to eternal life. I heard one pastor say about this, that when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life through the cross, he's not being exclusive, he's being specific right? If you say, Andrew, I, I want to get directions to your house. Now, my house is at the end of a dead-end street, and I will say to you, take 7th Street. I'm going to tell you exactly where I live right now, okay? Take 7th Street, or it could be 8th, 9th, or 10th. Who knows? <laughs> but likely 7th. Take 7th Street west to 95. Now, you won't get to 95. There's a big wall there, okay? But it's around that area, all right? It might be the house with skate ramps in the driveway. Who knows, Okay? But if I say, that's, listen, I say that's, the, like, that's the only road that gets to my house, you might, why are you so exclusive? Why, do you, why can't you be more inclusive of all the paths? It's like, because I love you, right? 
Because I love you. And I know your biggest problem, and let's get now to the idea of, of presenting the gospel. Your biggest problem is sin. This is what, and this is why Christianity, maybe Jesus goes on to say, this is why the, the path to eternal life is narrow. It's because of what it confronts in us. The gospel is offensive at its core. It offends the sinful human heart that wants to be its own savior. And I'm, I'm all for contextualizing. I'm all for... I'm all for understanding where a culture is at and how the gospel specifically speaks into that. But the reason why Jesus here is stressing the, the importance of how we get on the path to God is because there is such a tendency to water this thing down, to be more palatable, to be more accepted. So today we have a Christian path for a lot of people that had no entrance through the cross. This is big today in the church. Here's how to live the Christian life. Here's how to fix your finances. That's not your problem. That's not my problem. Actually, all of those problems are because of a deeper problem. Sin is my problem. Sin that's against and an offense to a holy God. But that holy God is a loving God. He's a God of grace and mercy. As we said, he sent his son Jesus to be sin for us, to give us that access to him. So, so Jesus says, beware of false religion. There is that point that, that Jesus shows. Enter, he says this, enter the narrow gate. This is what we proclaim, man. We, we proclaim, listen, the good news of the gospel is that you can be reconciled to God through Jesus. It's a cross-shaped entrance. It, it, it requires, that path to get to God, it requires humility. It requires recognizing your sin. It was C.J. Mahaney who, who said it so well. He said, but before I can glory in the gifts of the gospel, I must first recognize my part as a sinner. I must first see myself before God as, as sinful. That's what makes salvation so beautiful, that God would forgive me and love me. So Jesus says it's a narrow gate to eternal life. And then he also describes the path. He says it's difficult, right? And again, it's because of the cross. Because not only is the access point through the cross, but the, the, the pathway itself involves a cross. Uh, why don't you throw up Luke, I believe, chapter 9. Uh, Jesus said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So, so here's the big idea here. As Jesus is illustrating these two paths, you have one path that represents the way of the world, the systems and, and, and the, uh, the belief systems of the world, the worldviews of culture. And then you have the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus has, is the path to life, the path to the Father. It's accessed through the cross, through humility, and it's walked upon through bearing a cross as well. And this is the difficult nature of the Christian faith. This is, this is, why, this is why it's so unpopular. This is why many, Jesus says many people, most people, will not take the narrow path to heaven. They will take the, the broad path to hell. Because Jesus confronts my sin. And he says, you got to come to me for salvation. And now as you walk with me, you got to give up your life. Doesn't that go against most religions today? Or, or even like cultural advice? How can I make you feel better about yourself? 
How can I boost you and, and puff you up? And that's your problem. You were treated poorly, and now you need to be treated really well. Now, don't get me wrong. There's no life-changing treatment like the love of God. Knowing that God loves you is better treatment than any psychologist can give you, okay? And I'm not, again, speaking against any sort of counsel. But what I'm saying is that the Christian life, you can't avoid that it involves cross to get in and cross to keep going. It's bearing a cross. Discipleship to Jesus is not loving your life more and more. It's hating it to the point to where you say, God, when I, here's Christianity. God, the more I do things my way, the more I'm sick and tired of me. I need more. Anybody been there before? I'm just so good at doing my life my way, Frank Sinatra, okay? And I've just been to that point so much where I'm like, God, crucify me again. Let me die again. And that's an offense. But it is the way to truth. So beware, Jesus would say, number one, beware of false religion. We, we must beware, listen, of any attempt to be right with God and to make it to God that's apart from the cross. Beware of that. Beware of any religious system that takes the cross out of the picture. Let me say this. Beware of even any Christian religious system. Christian worldview that removes the cross. Okay? Uh, we'll talk more about that here in the next point, which is to beware, number two, of false prophets. And Jesus literally says that in verse 15. This point was really easy to come up with. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets. Watch out, be on your guard, warning, proceed with caution. There are eternal implications to whether or not you thoughtfully consider who am I learning from. Watch out for false prophets. He says, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. They appear to be a part of the flock, but the enemy is actually using them to tear the flock apart, to lead the sheep astray. Now, let's unpack this a little bit. A false prophet. I think it's important to do that. The word false, it means in Greek, literally, um, the Greek word is pseudo. Okay? A pseudo prophet, uh, which just means fake, like a, a pseudo spiritual teacher. And the idea is someone, here's what a false prophet is. A false prophet is somebody who claims to represent and speak for God when they don't. Uh, in a modern sense, now in the, in the New Covenant, we would say this, that a, a false prophet, or a, a better word for this would be a false teacher even, would make a little bit more sense, I think, in our culture. A, a spiritual teacher, a guide, a spiritual guide, a false spiritual guide that Jesus says to watch out for is anyone who leads and teaches but doesn't follow Jesus. Okay, so beware, Jesus says, of following leaders who aren't following Jesus. Beware of following spiritual leaders who aren't following Jesus. He says they are false prophets. Um, this is something that we see all throughout the Old and New Testaments. Israel had to deal with their fair share of false prophets. God would choose his man. He would choose his prophet to give his life and give his ministry to proclaiming God's word, whether easy to receive or not, the prophets, the true prophets, would speak what God desires them to say, God's heart for his, his people. And in that time as well, even in Israel, you'd have false prophets. Uh, one of my favorite true prophets in the Old Testament is a prophet named Micaiah. Let me remember Micaiah. 
the Old Testament? Of course not. We, we don't teach him enough in VBS, okay? So when we get back, Solus Kids, the whole curriculum is going to be about Micaiah, okay? Micaiah was a prophet who was willing to speak the truth, despite how it would offend, in a time where every other prophet just wanted to keep their followers. Are you, are you with me? And so even though it would go against God's counsel, it kept the people around. But Micaiah was the one that would speak the truth to the king, despite how offensive it was. And, and this is a warning in the Old Testament that, that is, would be familiar to the Jewish people. As Jesus says, hey, now even still, as my followers, watch out for false prophets. It's actually also reiterated in the book of Acts. Check this out, Acts chapter 20. Uh, Paul says, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. This is the church age. Uh, I'm trying to say this point, okay? This is relevant to today and right now in the church, okay? Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. I think verse 30 says, also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. I think this is an important distinction um, even Jesus is making this. Notice that when he's talking about being careful that you're not led astray by a false prophet, a false teacher, it's not just people in position. This is really important. This is, in fact, where I've seen the most damage done in the church. It's somebody who's just appearing as not a shepherd but a sheep and is kind of bringing in, and they're not submitted to authority, and usually there's sin that accompanies false doctrine. That's another theme in Second Peter. But they kind of come in. Notice this, among you. They'll just kind of rise up. They'll just kind of come, start attending, and they, they kind of have their own uh, bend that they disagree with, this kind of maybe key doctrinal point or something, but they'll kind of conceal it because they want to serve, they want to be a part. And then slowly but surely it'll start to come out. And it'll start to divide the flock even. And they'll become these, I've seen this, be, there becomes these issues. I think that's really important. We, and the, the main thrust here is to be careful like what teachers you learn from, but be careful who you learn from, period, is the point, right? Because they're going to come in among you and Jesus says, but God forbid, even deceive the elect in the last days. I don't know theologically all that that means. That's just crazy, though. It's like, if you're the elect and you're getting deceived, like, come on now. All right. All right. But, but notice this. Second Peter kind of reiterates the same thing. Peter says that there were also false prophets among the people in the Old Testament, even as there will be false prophets in 2020 among you, who will secretly bring in, here's the idea, destructive heresies even denying the Lord who bought them. Now, before you go to the next verse, okay, just go there, fine. It's all good. It's good. Close, bro. All right, we'll go there. We'll go there. I'll follow you, Mike. You're a great leader, great prophet. All right, look. And they'll bring on themselves, this is key, I'm glad you did this. They bring on themselves swift destruction. Now, what is this reminiscent of? Is this not reminiscent of false religion that we just read about? So, so, false, so okay, false religion is a path that leads to destruction apart from the cross. False prophets are people that guide people secretly down that path. And it's, it's disguised often as Christianity. It's, dis, it's disguised within the church as the right way to go, but it's, it's not. They're false prophets. Now, um, you can go back to the point just so that we're seeing this, Mike. Um, I need to make an important statement about this. Um, this is pretty complex. Uh, today in the church, you kind of have like two general camps of people when it comes to false prophets. Right? I'm sure you've encountered them. There's one side of it, we'll call this like hyper-progressive Christianity. Maybe just like progressive Christianity. It doesn't have to be hyper. 
Just be normal, okay? And there's this sort of, and I, man, uh, let's change it. Let's call it cultural Christianity. Mm, general American Christianity, even, okay. And, and it's, it's a culture today that won't call anybody a false prophet. Nobody's ever a false prophet. So we'll invite anybody in to speak. We'll lock arms with any church and every church, as long as they use the name Jesus, right? Because there's this verse that we take out of context in Philippians 1 that says, well, at least, at least, at least they're preaching Christ, you know? And if they're preaching Christ, it's okay, right? And that's, that's kind of one camp of this. Um, and then you have this other camp that loves the internet and Facebook, especially, comment section, YouTube comment section. They live there. They'd never leave there, it seems like, okay? And we'll call this like the, the fundamentalist, um, hypercritical, and, and this is the other extreme. And if one camp never calls anybody a, prophet, a false prophet, this camp calls everybody a false prophet, especially if you do ministry a little different than them. Or, here's a big one, you disagree with them on a minor doctrinal issue. False prophet, all right? You think Jesus is coming back after the tribulation? You are a wolf in sheep's clothing, okay? Like, that's the idea. I mean, and it's kind of these two extremes, right? One is hyper, uh, one is, is, is doesn't lack any wisdom or, or, or criticality, and the other is hyper, hypercritical. Now, I think the important question that we want to get at here is, is how do we know, right? Like, I, I want to know that every person I'm listening to is not a false teacher, is leading me along, because we don't want to be on either of those extremes, amen? Like, we don't want to be, by the way, like, we don't want to be over here where, where we're not calling anybody a teacher, and we're, we're led, we're just kind of listening to whatever podcast someone recommends, and we follow that teacher, and well, he has, you know, he has two million Instagram followers, I might as well learn from him, you know? That's kind of where we can go. This person reposted them. We don't want to be there, but we also got to be careful, because even Jesus was called a false prophet. So let's be careful. So there's, there's a healthy place that Jesus, our good teacher, our good shepherd, leads us to. And if we're asking this question again, how do I know? Jesus tells us it's their fruit, right? That's the point he made there. He says, at the end of the day, he goes, you don't gather, what is the fruit food group he uses? Grapes from thorn bushes. Actually, he asks the question, do you gather grapes from thorn bushes? Answer? Not typically. I've never done that, okay? Never gathered grapes, actually. But if I did, I assumed they would come from a grapevine. I heard that. Through the grapevine. Okay. Do you gather figs from thistles? No. The proper source produces the proper fruit. He says, even so, at the end of the day, if someone is in Christ, if they're true, in the true source, they're going to produce true things. What comes out of their life gives evidence to whether or not you should learn from them. Their fruit, he says twice, he says, you will know them whether or not they are true or false. True or false question. How do I know if they're a true or false prophet? Jesus says, what's coming out of their life? Their fruit. And there are two uh, um, almost like tests that you can measure a prophet through, a teacher through, to gauge whether or not they are true or false. It is their conduct. Conduct. Mike, my man, okay? Conduct and their content. Their conduct and their content. 
Okay, their conduct, the idea there is, regardless of what they're teaching, are they living a life that seeks to live in the way of Jesus? All right, or are they preaching Jesus and then taking your tithe dollars to buy their new Lamborghini? You know what I'm saying? Are they living in the way of Jesus? How many wives have they had? Like, you could eliminate half of the people you watch on TV with just that question, I'm telling you. I'm just being honest. What kind of life are they living? Look at 1 Timothy 3 and the qualifications of a spiritual leader. How do they measure up to that? Listen, God doesn't care about charisma. He cares about character. Gifts come from him. He gives those gifts. He's He's not impressed with what he gave. God, is, his eyes are looking for character, faithfulness. What comes out of the character of that person? And then, which is going to be connected, what comes out of their mouth? What are they teaching? Their content. The content of their character, but also the content of their words. What are they speaking? What are they teaching? Galatians 1.8 says this. Paul writes this. He says, but even if we are an angel from heaven... Even a false prophet angel shows up. If they or we preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, notice this, let him be accursed, anathema. Let him be condemned. Even an angel. Isn't that interesting? How many uh, cults today? Mormonism. World religion. Uh, Islam is based on their leader having an angelic visitation. Did you know that? I believe Muhammad saw an angel that was a demon masquerading as an angel of light. I believe that Joseph Smith had a visitation and his heart was rebellious to the gospel of Jesus that confronted his sin and confronted the fact that Jesus was Lord. And there was an angel that showed up and preached another gospel. And that's a test to run this through. Here's the question, okay? Not if they're using the name of Jesus. Which Jesus? Which one? What do you mean? It's 2 Corinthians 11. Look at this. Uh, Paul says, for if he who comes preaches, look at this phrase, another Jesus, whom we have not preached to you, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, he, he's, like, he's like upset with the, with the Corinthians. He's like, you're going to receive it. As long, he's like, what's, your, what's wrong with the church? If someone's using the name of Jesus, we're like, okay. And, and the metric of scripture is not if they preach Jesus or some kind of Jesus. It's do they preach the truth of Jesus? Do they preach the Jesus of scripture? Do they preach the Jesus who's the son of God? Do they preach the Jesus who is conceived by a virgin? Do they, con- do they preach a Jesus who is Lord of all? Or do they preach some, notice this, some other Jesus. The Mormons preach a Jesus that is the half-brother of Lucifer. Uh, The Jehovah Witnesses preach a Jesus that is actually Michael the Archangel. In both cases, Jesus is not capital G, God. He is a created being um, who we can be like one day and reach Godhood, the same temptation that Adam and Eve were given in the garden. The Catholic Church preaches a Jesus 
who doesn't justify you by your faith, but saves you by your works. Um, let me say that there are many Protestant expressions of this as well. A Jesus who is not sufficient to take your sin in of himself, he needs you to do some, um, some work to pick up the slack as well in cleaning up your act. Um, the liberal left preaches a Jesus who wants you to love your neighbor but will never call on you to repent of your sin. The religious right preaches a Jesus whose primary goal is to moralize the nation and not evangelize the lost. The greatest threat to the American church today is, is not Islam. <laughs> it's not Mormonism. It's the political religions. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. The prosperity gospel lastly preaches a Jesus who died on the cross for you to be physically healthy and materially wealthy. Okay. What do we do with this? Can I tell you? We get to know Jesus in the Bible. You get to know the Jesus of the Bible. You've heard the illustration before of, of, of in, in the government, those in that government group who would study counterfeit money. And the way that, that, that a person analyzing counterfeit money would know that it was counterfeit is not because they spent their whole life studying counterfeits, but they spend their whole life analyzing the real thing. If you spend every day in and day out studying a real $20 bill, and you, you know every detail about that $20 bill that makes it real, you don't have to study the fake ones to know that they're fake. Are you with me? So we must get to know the Jesus of the Bible. Not the Jesus that you've caught and been taught. Not the Jesus of the political religions. Like, where are the Christians who are following Jesus, right? Not some sort of form that we've created of him. We need to be like, in the Bible, a group of people called the Bereans. The Bereans in Acts chapter 17 are a group of people that uh, Paul comes across, Acts 7, 17, Mike, my man, where you at, my dog, there it is. All right, these were, it says this, he kind of like throws shade at the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians. He says, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. It's like, well, like, okay, bro, weird flex, Paul, but okay, all right. It says, in that they received the word with all readiness, and notice what the Bereans did. They searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Just because they have a big Instagram follower base doesn't mean you should assume that everything they're saying is true. It's on you to be a student of the word. In fact, that's actually one of the main reasons why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 why there would be false prophets in the church. It's 2 Timothy. Can you go back to that verse, 2 Timothy 4? Uh, Paul, I want you to see this, Paul's ex exhortation to Timothy. 2 Timothy 4 verse 1, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearance and at his coming, verse 2, let's go right through this. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Here's the call to a spiritual leader. Preach the word of Jesus. Not your opinion, not your political hot take. Now, preach the Bible. Sometimes truth in the Bible will confront cultural politics. I'm not saying don't advocate for the lives of children in the womb being saved. Don't hear me off here, okay? But our gospel is Jesus and him crucified. 
We can't be deterred from that to where we get so caught up in moralizing, okay? Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come. I think we would say to Paul, the time's come, Paul. When they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Now, this isn't the problem of the false prophets. It's not the false prophets who are to blame. It's the church. Because of their own desires, they have itching ears, and they heap up for themselves teachers. It says, and they will turn ears away from the truth, and they will be turned aside to fables. But he tells Timothy, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. There's a reason why televangelists are so popular. They're itching ears. The reason why there's false prophets is because we have flawed hearts. But there is nothing like the truth that is in Jesus, man. I'm telling you, as offensive as it may be in the beginning, there's nothing more life-giving than the truth of Jesus. The only reason why it's offensive is because it hurts our pride, right? It's, it's, it's way more good news than it is just offensive news, who Jesus really is. So what does Jesus say? He says, beware of false prophets. And I know this is like, this is at this point a seminar. I got to wrap this up, all right? You know, it's the ballroom vibe. I'm giving a seminar in here, okay? But um, you got room for one more point? We'll, we'll try to keep this one a little shorter. Okay. I got two head nods. That's all right. All right. Andrew, you said we'd be done by 10. You're a false prophet. All right, third point. <laughs> Beware, lastly, um, and I, I just feel like this is too heavy to just rush through, so I just want to just communicate this. Jesus lastly says to be aware of something called false assurance, okay? I've been trying to, like, how do I, like, lighten this a little bit? And the Lord's just like, just, t- just say what I've said, Andrew. Okay. Um, so the, the first danger that we are to be cautious about in life is false religion, any pathway that gets me to God without the cross, okay? The second danger that Jesus warns us of is any leaders, spiritual leaders that are often, this, and the idea is they're in the church especially, uh, that will, um, be, they will, they will capitalize on our own sinful desires to hear something that's uh, less convicting than the scriptures. And we need to beware of following any leader that is not following, teaching, and proclaiming the Jesus of scripture. And Jesus, in the same vein, talking about those who are one thing on the outside, but another thing on the inside. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. He he talks about a day coming where many are going to stand before God. Let me say this. Every living and dead person, the Bible says in Revelation, will stand before God. And in that day and age, as, as man, all of humanity, both great and small, both the famous, the non-famous, and the infamous, as they stand before God, many in that day who have spent their whole life in church will say, Lord, Lord, look at what I've done for you. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Okay? 
Um, false assurance, what we're talking about here, this thing that Jesus is to watch out for. It is believing that you are saved when you're not, simply. Now, I, before I unpack that for a minute, I want to say um, the gospel of Jesus, the good news, whether you're false assured or faulty assured today, the gospel of Jesus is that you can know that you know that you know that you're saved. Okay? Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to be unsure of your salvation. So let's, yeah, all right? Yeah, yeah, thank you, Jesus, right? So, so and, and before you be a Berean, don't take my word for it. Check it out, okay? Notice scripture. Um, I got to give you a reference, right, Mike? Um, 1 John 5, 1 John 5 says this, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may, what? That you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Okay? Um, I love Romans, Romans 10 is a great example of this, right? You've, we've all heard this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, you, what? Will be saved. Like, maybe, let's start here. Maybe one of the biggest problems facing our lives today is the lack of security and assurance we have. How many of us would share the gospel more if we actually believed it? If we actually knew that it was true, that I actually belong? It's amazing what assurance in the heart of a believer can do. You ever, like, met a new believer? They're, like, they're more assured that they're saved than they are that they're even real, you know, like... And they're just like, I belong to God. And, and you know what we need to do? A lot of us, we need to pray David's prayer in Psalm 51. God, restore to me the joy of your salvation, Lord. Re just replace whatever's insecure in me. Maybe if the problem is, you know, I was like so freshly forgiven and I thought that I would go on being a better person and I found out that I'm still in a body of flesh and I've gone this long still sinning and I'm like, oh, maybe I'm not. I don't have good fruit. Okay, hold on. Okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, we need to make sure we have a good theology of what's called sanctification as well, that God is faithful to keep the work up in you. But the problem, the problem for both, listen, the faulty assured person, the problem for the person who is saved but isn't sure, and the person who thinks they're saved when they're not, the problem there has the same solution. It's what's your hope in. What's your hope in? The hope of our assurance, we know the message of the gospel, is that Jesus paid it all. For we have been saved by grace through faith, apart from works. It's the good news of the gospel that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you turn from your sin, you trust in Christ. You will, how many times do you have to pray the prayer? There, there is no magical abracadabra prayer that changes the game here. Sometimes leading someone in a prayer is a great way to do it. My favorite, if you want to know what the sinner's prayer is in the scripture, it's by a tax collector who says this, God have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the sinner's prayer. God, I just, I, uh, it was John Owens who said, the only thing you need to be saved is need. God, I need you to save me. I've tried it. I can't do it. I trust in you. Your way is better. The cross much better. I'll take that, right? I'll trust in you. In fact, the word Jesus says with believe, it means just look at Jesus. 
That's the security. Now, Jesus here, when he's speaking to the false assurance, here's the issue. He says, the reason why many that will come to me in the last day, the reason why many of them will hear, depart from me, I never knew you, the reason why many will, will not be granted access into the kingdom of God that they thought they had access to was because this. He, he tells us this. It's because the basis of their hope was not Jesus. Notice what it was. It was two things. It was what they knew about Jesus, number one. They'll say, Lord, Lord. Isn't that the pass key, the passcode? Lord, Lord. I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. And James will be like, nah, dude, even the demons know that, Okay. And they tremble, you know. <laughs> right? So, so the basis of, of the, the false assured is someone who their, the, the, the hope of their life, their salvation is built upon what they know about God. Not what they've trusted in with God. But what they know about him. They can articulate every, man, I did high school ministry for eight years. And I had to do like some reverse engineering Especially the worst of the kids that have been in church their whole lives. It's like you're just, you're too close to the gospel to see it sometimes. And I have to be like, no, okay, look, look. It's, I'm really proud of you that you know your Bible books in order. Like, high five. Like, you did it, all right? Like, that doesn't, that's not going to, no. Do you know your sin and do you know your need for a savior? It's not what you know about God. And then lastly, notice this. It, their salvation, it wasn't just based on what they knew about God, but their false assurance was rooted in also that they were trusting in what they did for God. And they did some amazing things. These people, I haven't to this day casted out a demon in the name of Jesus. I just want to say on my, my resume, okay, as your pastor, okay, all right, I'm open to the Lord to use me in that way. Um, I think in our culture, demons masquerade a little differently. But look at the resume. Look at all that they've done. They taught Sunday school in Jesus' name. They tithed in Jesus' name. They served. God forbid they were pastors in Jesus' name. But their hope wasn't in what Jesus did for them. It was what they did for Jesus. It was what they did before man I see him speaking to the Pharisees in that culture that had a form of godliness but denied the power that went along with it. And, and again, the hope for the faulty assured and the false assured, it's still Jesus. And I'm going to invite the band to come up as we finally close here. But um, I want you to notice a theme that, that is at the center of all three of these warnings we received. What is the remedy for being led astray down a path that seems right but ends in destruction. What's the remedy for that? It's the cross. It's Jesus. What's the remedy for being led astray by some kind of false teacher? Are they preaching the cross? Is it Jesus? Today, what's the remedy for both the false assured and the faulty assured? It's still the cross. It's only always been the cross. It will only always be the cross. So we sang a beautiful song when we came in here. And it was a declaration of where we build our hope on. And for some of us today, to sing that song sincerely, we have to start by saying, Jesus, I repent. 
Because frankly, my hope has not been built on your blood and your righteousness. It's been built on my own blood, sweat, and tears and my own righteousness. And it's a good thing today if you're there and you're tired. Because you have a Jesus who says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come. I'll give you rest. Rest your hope fully on my grace.